go to the book of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter. This is one of those portions of scripture that commonly gets referred to, whether in song or in uh, messages, teaching, preaching, uh, but uh, I want to spend some time this morning and base our sermon today out of this text, amen, Isaiah's vision of the Lord, powerful, powerful moment in his life, but also in the scripture. Praise God. Isaiah chapter number 6, verse number 1. When you have it, say amen. Praise God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Amen. I want to preach on the subject this morning. Look again. Look again. Praise God. You can be seated this morning. Brother Lee, did you get that second picture I sent you? Would you put that up for me? What do you see? Do you see a young lady or an old lady? Or I should, I should more properly say younger or elder. Is that a little bit more... So what do you see? You see a younger lady? Angry lady? <laughs> We're going to assume they're both happy. So, <laughs> Okay, so I, I've got one that spoke out, says younger. Anybody else? Okay. Okay, the, those of you that have done this before, you, can, you, you see both. Okay, who sees, the, who sees the older lady? That's okay. Okay, okay, good. All right, who sees the younger lady? Okay, some of you see both. Okay, you've probably done this before. Who can't, who can't see the younger lady? That's okay. So the younger lady, as you'll see, so, so if you look at the older lady, you see her mouth down here, almost covered by the fur, but, but you see right where her eye is, that is actually the ear of the younger lady, as the younger lady is turned to the side. And you see her eyelash off to the, to the left there? Does that start to bring it into picture? You see her nose just underneath the eyelash there? This is oftentimes used to help us uh, identify or realize that sometimes 
we just don't quite see things the same as other people. That many times we'll see things a little differently. And so many of you who've already seen this type of thing, uh, that you, already, you could already see both because you knew what, what to expect, you knew what to look for. And so, so but some of you, you, you could only see one. You could either see the, the younger lady or the older lady. But, but when finally explained, you, you can look again and see things just a little differently. And I hope this morning that, that when we go through this message today is that when we look at the Lord, is that not only will we see the God of heaven, the King of glory, as we have read in Isaiah. But I'm going to show you something today that I hope that you'll be able to look again and see the true glory of God revealed in Christ. Praise God. He is awesome. God is awesome. Could you imagine? Now when we look at God Almighty, God is holy. We read this in our text this morning. We've sung about it in our songs this morning, that God is holy. You know, man, we try oftentimes to justify ourselves in our sin, and we see it all the time around us. And we try oftentimes in that justification. And we see it through much of Christianity. I, I like to say we don't often do it ourselves, but we see it all around us all the time. Is that God, people are trying to, to bring God down to a lower level. That in our efforts to try to, to sometimes explain God, our efforts sometimes to try to relate to God, is we oftentimes bring God down from His throne on high and make Him like unto us. And you might even have some scripture that you can throw out and, and use to help explain that. But the reality is, is that no matter what the scripture you try to use, is God is not like us. We can say His ways are above our ways and His thoughts above our thoughts. He is the God of heaven. He's the one who holds the universe in the span of His hand. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. Folks, He's not like us. God is spirit. We are flesh. God is not bound by time. He's not limited by ability. God can do all things, but you and I, we are bound by the clock, and we are bound by the limits of our physical being. Anybody with me this morning? But our problem is, is that we try to bring God down. We bring Him down from His throne. We, uh, we see oft times preachers making Him commonplace, painting God either as a limp-wristed wimp who has, really has no power or doesn't really know what he's talking about or what he's doing or they try to portray God as this great big ogre who is harsh and unjustified in his actions the problem with the church 
is that far too many so-called Christians are trying to soften the image of God and in doing so, make Him out to be just like us. Folks, I don't want a God that's just like us. If you search for a God that's just like you, that God will not be able to get you out of anything because He's just like you. They try to make God to be something that He is not. He's not like unto us. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. We see preachers, and I'm going to go ahead and throw uh, one preacher out, Joel Osteen, and others like unto him, that they, they try to, to uh, water down the gospel, that sin is no longer sin. It, it, it's it's uh, mistakes. And that God, God you, you know, you can just be a better person. And they pretty much leave God out of the equation. But I come against that philosophy. I come against those ideas this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Because God is not like unto us. He is powerful and He is mighty. He is merciful and He is just. He is eternal. <laughs> Anybody that's getting older, we... <laughs> We, we know what that, what that really means because we're bound by our flesh and the limitations of time. But above all, He is holy. He is holy. Would you say that with me? He is holy. Of all the characteristics that you can name of God, there will be none that is more applicable to Him than the fact that He is holy. The angels cried it. We read about it in this scripture. We read about it in Revelation where they proclaimed it. They sing it all day long, every day. And we have the privilege when we join in and begin to sing and declare that He is holy, holy, holy. Hallelujah. We get to join our voices with the angelic host as they declare the holiness of God. The greatest difference between God and man is not just God's power, just that He's the Creator, but the fact is, is that He's holy. That may not mean a lot to some, but we're going to look at that for just a few minutes. God is holy. It is the essential aspect of His nature. It's not just because when we talk about holiness, it's not just that holiness means that's, that it's separated or, or set apart. And it's not just that God is set apart, but, but rather when we talk about the holiness of God, it is His absolute purity, His moral perfection. That is what God's holiness is described by. So when we look at God, we see that He is not like us. He's pure with moral perfection. And so He is worthy of praise and worship. But in His holiness, in His uh, purity and moral perfection, it also fulfills the Old Testament concept of holiness being separation. Because He's not like us. 
man, there are no other gods like him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isaiah in his prophecies declares that there's none like unto God, that God himself can't find any other like him, not on his right or his left, before him or behind him, because he is holy. Amen. And so we, we must be careful when we talk about this God that we serve, that we don't try to bring him down to our level and make him like us. Folks, I want a God who can bring me up, who can bring me out, who can set me apart, who can put me on a rock protected from the floods and the winds and the waves and the problems of this world. That's the God that I want to serve. And so God's holiness is not something to despise or reject, but simply God is holy and His holiness is amazing. He isn't stained by sin. He is pure and He is righteous. And because He is separated from sin, that means that He is unchanged by man's evil deeds or the circumstances that we are tempted with daily. He's a rock. He's a strong tower because He is holy. He's unmovable and unshakable because He is holy. And so He is to be treated different than everything else in life. We're not to try to make Him common because He is uncommon. There's none like Him. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. I'm just going to give you a couple of scriptures before moving on. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? He is holy. He is holy. Hallelujah. Uh, Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise you, the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all, his glory above the heavens. Verse 5 Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? This is the God we serve. This is the God that we worship and we praise. Hallelujah. Folks, we see people all the time. They'll go to, to concerts. They'll go to sporting events. They'll go to political rallies. And they'll make a fool of themselves. Worshipping those people. Don't tell me it's not worship. They're clapping their hands. They're, they're lifting their hands. They're, they're shouting and they're dancing. They're giving worship to these people. Folks, my God is not like those people. <laughs> my God is higher. My God is greater. My God is more powerful. Hallelujah. In fact, these people aren't even on the same level as my God. Hallelujah. God 
is holy. Amen. Amen. And so what we need today, when we see Isaiah's vision of the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train, folks, if you don't know what the train of a king, that, that means his, his royal robes. And that royal robe has, the, the longer it is, it really identifies the glory of that king. The longer the train of his robe is, the more victories in battle he has won. And when we read Isaiah's vision, he saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his glory did what? It filled the temple. Folks, we have got to get a renewed or a new vision of the Lord high and lift it up. Hallelujah. We get so bogged down and so mired in the muck of our daily living that oft times we, we drop our gaze from, from the throne room of heaven and we bring it down into the low places of the earth and all of our distresses and trials and troubles and we lose the vision of the Lord being high and lifted up. We lose the fact that His glory, hallelujah, is the evidence of His great power and victory and might. We lose the vision of the fact that He has the power, the ability to work in our lives. Because we have lost that vision of the Lord still on His throne. Folks, He hasn't vacated His throne. And no one can remove Him. <laughs> the devil tried and and as, as the scripture says, the Lord said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Folks, we need a new vision of the Lord sitting on his throne in our lives. High and lifted up. And let the glory of the Lord fill the temple of your life. Hallelujah. You are right now have come into this place this morning. And you have, your gaze has dropped. Your vision has dropped. And you've forgotten what God can do and who God is in your life. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you this morning to look again. Look again. Lift up your eyes. Hallelujah. And look again and see the Lord. Hallelujah. Look again. Punch your neighbor and tell him, look again. It wasn't hard enough. Punch him again. I'm, I'm just kidding. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that when Isaiah lifted up his eyes in this vision, and he saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up, and he saw the angels, and they were declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What was Isaiah's response? He then recognized his own condition. In verse number 5, he says, Then said I, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a pool of unclean lips. 
for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The simple location and the company of the holy revealed the condition of Isaiah's soul. It was as stark of a contrast as you could ever find. It wasn't just just the blackness of sin against the whiteness of the holiness of God. Take that to the nth degree. Take it as far as you can and turn the contrast up. And that may begin to help you understand what Isaiah was feeling in those moments. You ever... You ever walk into a fancy place and you didn't realize it was fancy? And so you walked in, dressed down? Or maybe you were going somewhere and and you dressed up and if you're like me, if you ate before you went there, you get something on your shirt and you walk in and you're so embarrassed. You feel like everybody is looking at you. Folks, Isaiah, in those moments that he saw the Lord and he heard the declarations from the angels of holy, 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 he begins to re- understand who he is. He begins to feel like probably Adam and Eve did back in the garden when they recognized that they were naked. And they hid themselves. That's what it was to be a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a sinful man. And I dwell in the midst of sinful men. You can begin to feel what Isaiah was feeling in those moments. And Isaiah was not the only one in Scripture to feel that way. We see many throughout the Scripture who recognize their sinful condition. When you read the book of Job, recognized as the oldest writing in Scripture, in Job 42, verse 5, he said, I've heard you, God, and by the hearing of the ear, but, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself. In other words, I hate myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job felt that way, and Job was being put to the test because of his righteousness. Is anybody familiar with the scripture that declares that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags when they're compared to the righteousness of God? Peter, that great apostle, he started out, he's messed up like the rest of us. He's out fishing. In fact, he is done for the night washing his nets and Jesus comes walking on the seashore says Peter I want you let's launch out into the deep 
I'm shortening the story, but let's launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. He said, Lord, I've been fishing all night and I haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, at your, at your word, I'll do it. And he launches out and he lets down his net. And as he begins to pull that net back up, there's a weight there that he has not felt all night. There's a struggle now that he has to give that he did not give all night. Because now that net is overflowing with fish, so much so that he had to call out for help to get them in the boat. And when that happened, when they finally were done pulling the nets in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized his condition in the presence of the Lord. It's the unfortunate nature of man that we are sinful. It was King David who wrote his prayer of repentance in the psalm, declaring that he was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It all began with the disobedience of one, that man, Adam. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But are we stuck in this drama? Are we bound by this curse? I want to help you this morning to look again. Because when Adam sinned, he, he's the one by his sin brought, di brought division between him and God. That there was a put a great gulf between God and man caused by the sinful actions of one. But God always working for reconciliation. God always working toward the time of, of, of bringing back together, of finding a way and a place and a time of being able to, to span that great gulf. When we read Isaiah's writings, I love the book of Isaiah. <laughs> if you don't love the book of Isaiah yet, go back and read it, and then read it again. And then read it one more time. And when you're done reading it that one more time, read it one more time. And you'll begin to understand the greatness of God as He is working for our good. Because in Isaiah's vision, he, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train, His glory filled the temple. But God said that He would not share His glory with another. But in Isaiah, he records that, that his people are to look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. God was giving glimpses, insights, previews, prophecies 
about who he was going to be and what he was going to do to bring his people to that place of salvation. In other words, God was saying, I'm preparing you to be able to look again. You're going to see me in just a little different light. You're going to see me in a little different manner. Hallelujah. And so if you look for me, you will find me. Is that not what God spoke through his prophets? If you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And so through his prophets, he kept giving glimpses. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, he said, I will pour out upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. If you're not quite sure what that means, just hang tight for a moment because God was speaking of the time that he would come himself in flesh. That time that when the fullness of time was come, that God would send forth a, a son made of a woman made under the law. And he was saying, be prepared to look again. To look again. Isaiah 52, verse 14. As many were astonished at thee. They were astonished at what? His visage. That means the, the image of who he was. The look. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. That's how badly he would be beaten. That's how badly he would suffer. So much so that he would hardly be able to be recognized by those who knew him. In the next chapter, Isaiah 53, verse 2. These are prophecies that God is giving of what he was going to do. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. But Isaiah, I want you to have another glimpse. I want you to look again. Something is changing. Something is moving. Isaiah 53, 2. This is the prophecy of Messiah. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Look at this. He has no form nor comeliness. In other words, he's not a good-looking dude. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look again. Isaiah, your first vision in the year that King Uzziah died was the God of heaven 
upon his throne, high, lifted up, his glory so great it filled the temple. The angels flying to and fro, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But here Isaiah looks again as God is showing him what is to come. Isaiah, what you saw before, look again. And it's almost as if Isaiah, just like he had written, had to turn his face. Because it was so bad. What he was seeing was so bad that those that he recorded there, that everyone turned their faces from him. Look again. And each of those prophecies pointing to a day when God Almighty would be manifest in the flesh that he himself, not sending a second person of a trinity, but God Almighty, who said, look unto me and be saved, who said, I am the Savior all by myself, that he became our Emmanuel, God with us, took on the name of Jesus, Jehovah, has become salvation. And Jesus, God in flesh, he spoke in John chapter 12, verse 33, and we read this just a couple weeks ago. But he said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And this he said, signifying what death he should die. Folks, the problem that happened in the day of Jesus is those who, who had knowledge of the Scripture, that those who, who thought they knew what to expect, they were expecting to see the Messiah come on His white steed coming and, and casting out Roman oppressors. But he came as a suffering servant. And they missed him. They missed him because they didn't look again. They had knowledge of the scripture, but no application of it. And they didn't look again. They saw like Isaiah in the first vision of the year that King Uzziah died. But they missed Isaiah 53. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And he was talking about his death. When you think of what the Old Testament writer 
in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 8, 3, 8 verse 3. He gave prophecy of this Messiah. This is why we need to look again. I love worshiping the God of heaven. I love knowing that He is holy. I love knowing that He's separated and apart from all the issues and problems of this world. But look again. The psalmist says, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. We oft times read that scripture in wonderment for ourselves. God, why do you even think about me? <laughs> Who am I that you would even care about me? And it is true and it is applicable and it is right. But it also serves as a prophecy of the Messiah, God in flesh. Because when we read the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse number 9, the writer of Hebrews pulls from that scripture. And he starts by saying, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Hallelujah. The God of heaven became man. He became man to suffer because as spirit could not suffer. As spirit, he could not bleed and he could not die. But he, hallelujah, through the auspices of his power, he was able to become man. And as a man, he died on a cross and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. Look again. Because not only is God God of heaven who sits upon his throne, but he's the God who loved you enough to come to this world and become your substitutionary sacrifice. He took your place. Where there once was a great gulf because he's holy and we are sinful, that God came down and took our sins and became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, do you hear me this morning? God, holy, righteous, above all, He came down 
and became sin, took the burden of your sin upon himself so that we could be set free from the penalty of that sin and become the righteousness of God. Why? Because he's reconciling the world unto himself. Uh, hallelujah, there doesn't have to be a great gulf between you and God anymore. There doesn't have to be a great separation between you and God anymore. Yes, he's still holy, but he's made a way by which you also can be holy because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Look again, folks. Look again. Hallelujah. Not only do you see the God of heaven, but now you see, hallelujah, that Jesus, Jesus himself is set down on the throne. When we get to that place, when we get to heaven, hallelujah, he will have taken the throne. And there's one who sits on the throne. One who sits on the throne. Hallelujah, it's time to look again. What's been keeping you away and causing you to turn away in shame? He's now made a way, despising the shame. It's time to look again. He was lifted up in his glory, but there was a separation from his people because of sin. And now he's lifted up and he's drawing all men unto himself. Look again. Look again. Hallelujah. The shame, the reproach of your failings, the times that you give in to temptations, and sin takes hold in your life. Look again. He's made a way. Look again. He's become your sacrifice. Look again. He's taken your sin and shame upon himself. Hallelujah. Taking the handwriting of ordinances, the law that was against you, and he nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning? When you look at what took place, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Look again, folks. And here's what I want you to understand. Is that he's done this for your salvation. He's done this so that you would be saved, that you would be redeemed that you could be called holy and become holy as he is holy. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's made us to be kings and priests unto God and the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look again, folks. Verse number 7. 
behold, he cometh with the clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Hallelujah. So that we can get there. So that we can be ready on that day to look at Him and see Him as He comes. We must look at Him and see Him as He was on the cross. The suffering that He bore. The blood that was shed to forgive you of your sin. I can tell you all of my time serving the Lord there's not a day that goes by that I don't need to revisit the cross that I don't need a renewed vision not only of his greatness and glory and grandeur but I need a renewed vision of that precious blood that was shed for I need a renewed vision of what he did taking those stripes upon his back. So that I could be clean. That I could be healed. So that I could see him on that day when he comes again. away from the Lord because of your shame. I invite you this morning to come to an altar and look again. You've been stuck, mired in the, the issues and situations of life. I invite you to come to an altar. this place, would you find your way to the altar? Would you find a place to pray? To get a new glimpse of the greatness of God. To get a new glimpse of the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Would you find that place right now? Hallelujah, Jesus.